Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. is another late Sunday night where we have procrastinated until Sunday night to do a podcast. I'm sitting here staring at a beautiful doe skin on my wall that my grandfather killed. We tanned it when we were little and and when I was little and put it on the wall. Got a nice doe skin hanging up. Jacob, how are you doing? (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Just, I don't know. Just looking at that doe skin, man. That thing's pretty cool. I haven't messed with it in a while. I haven't tanned a hide in like two or three years. I need to tan mm. a hide. Yep, that'd be pretty good. Yeah, for real. Yeah. It'd be cool to get. It'd be cool to get a really old doe this fall that's like very gray and then tan that. Yeah, yeah, that, that would be really cool. Have you on that that new Tyler Childers song, um, Country Squire, which is not out yet, but he played it live uh, when I was at his concert. There's a line in there where he says. I went to pull my trap line, 
and uh, uh, I plan to tan myself a fox hide, hanging on my darling bride. That's country. <laughs> yeah, if that, if that ain't country, kiss my ass. There you go. <laughs> that ain't country. Only pe- only if only the cool people get that reference. <laughs> exactly. Oh but, man! Uh, if anybody can't tell, we're tired. We're just tired. Nah, it's just you. Just you. What you got going on, Ginger? Dude, what do you mean what I got going on? Freaking, just had to do a day trip. You and me did a day trip down to old Destin, Florida. Yeah. Go pick, go pick up the old Hobie. Yeah, I got it. Got it. Jacob. Oh, Myers, man, coming through the expensive hunting gear. Which, uh, by the way, on this podcast, we're going to talk about a little bit of everything. And one of those things is going to be summer scouting theory for deer. So kind of a new, not new, but just kind of a theory about summer scouting where you can uh, – possibly keep from wasting your time but we'll get to that later right now we're gonna bs so yeah we drove down to destin got a kayak nice hobie thing's pretty freaking sweet got the little turbo fins on it so you can go bebopping across the lake pretty fast um and you took it out fishing and i haven't heard anything about your fishing trips so oh dude just couldn't catch anything freaking suck dude you know you know it really sucks so me and me and robert went to the old honey hole which is normally a honey hole, and bass are destroying shad, but we could not get them to bite a single freaking thing we threw. Man, that's really disappointing. Because, yep. yeah, you went fishing, and I've been watching that the leaderboard on the Chasing Tails tournament that we're doing, and I'm like, Jacob still hadn't entered a fish yet. I don't know what's going on. He's talking all this, talking up your honey hole, man. I'm like, yep. golly, killing me. Yeah, I think it's just one of those days. I definitely, I mean, there's still a ton of bass in that lake, but yeah. it was just one of those days. There's a couple other people out on the lake uh, boating around, which um, it, it's kind of funny. So the lake is a, it's a uh, neighborhood lake, like 22 acres or so. Uh, and actually, one of my family members used to live there, so we go fish out there all the time. Well, anyways, lately they've made some rules where, <laughs> where you're not supposed to be out there unless you're an HOA member. Well. So, anyways, I found out they put these stickers on their boats, like all the members and everything. We got some friends that make some vinyl stickers, so I might need a sticker to get made for me. <laughs> Man, you're an outlaw. Oh, oh, Billy Edwards about to get a call. So. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's goofy as crap right there. That's goofy. I haven't been out still, man. I'm going to try and get out after work at some point this week, finally. But, ah, dude. I need to go fishing. I need to register a fish. Otherwise, Parker and everybody's going to make fun of me. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's already happened. I mean, if you've seen the group text messages, it's been brutal. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so for anybody that doesn't know, we're talking about the Chasing Tails Outdoors Fishing Tournament. Uh, it's like a kayak fishing tournament. You can only fish off a kayak, canoe, or a paddleboard. And, uh, yeah, we haven't registered a fish yet, mainly because we haven't been fishing because we got a lot of irons in the fire lately, man. We uh, oh, yeah. we've been we've been uh, we've been getting after it. So I think we're ready to announce our new venture. Uh, Jacob, you want <clears throat> to take it away? Yeah. Uh, so one thing me and Andrew's been working on over the last year or two is, you know, how can we be more productive with what we're doing, uh, especially when it comes to just you know producing, you know, content, especially like this podcast and everything. So we've decided to kind of start our own production company. Uh, for both, uh, we're really just a visual, uh, as we say, a visual asset um, provider. So we're kind of really pumped about that. Uh, and we came up with our, 
can't wait for the name get the LLC already rocked and rolled, and uh, it's gonna be freaking exciting. Already, you know, working on some stuff right now, so it's gonna be super exciting going forward. What we can do with that, and uh, one reason why we like that is because we're gonna try to keep the podcast guys. I think Andrew, we haven't really talked about this a whole bunch, but kind of keep it a lot more ad free and, and kind of roll with the podcast as being something that we can really provide for you guys to in turn give you guys, you know, this kind of content, uh, which I, I'm pretty excited about. And it's something that definitely I think you guys are appreciate, but also is going to give it a more of a, um, I guess you say, a, how, how does Aaron Snyder say it? Um, you're not going to necessarily have a biased opinion on a lot of things. Because uh, one thing when you have a whole bunch of sponsors and everything, you're kind of, whether you truly believe in a product or not, you're kind of suckered into whatever they're producing, and you know, it's the you know greatest in in, ball, in, in all be all. So yeah. uh, I'm super excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, and plus I'm, I'm a freaking gear nut, so I, I freaking use a little bit of everything. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's true. So and if we do decide to partner with people on the podcast, we get to really pick and choose who we get to partner with. So it's like a good working relationship for both of us, like kind of like how we did with Houndstooth this spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they they sponsored the strut report houndstooth is a company that we've been using for a long time now and uh so if we do accept something on the podcast side of things it's something that we've been we've been using and i actually had a guy message us uh, i think i told you about this jacob a guy messaging us uh wanting us to promote something that he makes or something like that and i was like ah man we, that's not really we, we don't use it and whatever so i kind of turned him down but yeah, so the six mile. Well, we didn't even say the name. Six I mile. Know, I was going uh, to let you do it. Oh, dude. So yeah. So the name of the new company is called Six Mile Productions, and obviously we're going to specialize in the outdoor industry a little bit because well, we know it and we we like talking about hunting stuff and hunting gear and everything. So uh, right now we're working on some stuff for uh, out on limb manufacturing with their uh, new saddle platforms. Probably get some more stuff from them down the line. Pumped out. And then we're also working with uh, Broadside Camo right now, um, working on getting some content out for them. And basically what we do is uh, we focus on, like Jacob said, visual asset production. And uh, this is so boring. I don't know why anybody's going to want to listen to this. So if you don't care about this, skip forward. But if you do, then listen. Um, basically, visual asset is like, you know, uh, today's day and age, it's never been so easy to reach so many people at the touch of a button or the touch of a screen nowadays. So producing a video, professional photos, producing some kind of graphic that can promote a product or a business is something that's really valuable to like a small business owner, which we get because, you know, we're both small business owners ourselves. My parents are small business owners. And so we kind of understand that it can be difficult to market yourself sometimes. So we're looking forward to kind of working with some people on you know making a video or something along those lines that helps promote a certain product of theirs or a certain business of theirs you know maybe a grand opening of a place which I was talking to a guy about actually today just stuff generally along those lines I know I'm stumbling here I'm really tired but Jacob do you have anything to add to that no but super excited I already have a uh, a big list of people that hopefully be able to kind of work with in the future that get contacts with it's just you know exciting kind of going forward and be able to you know be able to do something that truly you know the sky's the limit on this as or this uh aspect so super excited about it and definitely it's gonna be exciting going forward with this uh this new adventure uh, should we say yeah um oh, but yeah. anyway yeah we've been rocking and rolling with it it's been eating up quite a bit of time which uh 
I hate to say it, but that's why we've slacked off with the podcast a little bit while we've been uh, procrastinating and kind of cranking these episodes out a little late. Hopefully they're still good and you're like getting something out of them. But um, yeah, we're we're trying to um, kind of get everything buckled down. We got our LLC done, got our email done. I'll probably finish the website by Tuesday or Wednesday. Once we get all that squared away, it'll kind of smooth out and... Uh, We'll get back in the groove of things. I already got two guests who I know that people really, really want to hear about. Talking about, you know, bear hunting and then also hog hunting, which I know people people are pretty interested in. So we'll be rocking and rolling in that, that aspect pretty soon, next two weeks or so. But for now, it's just me and the old ginger bow hunter BSing around. We're going to talk about deer stuff, deer scouting. Well, let's get to it. So what have you and Michael been talking about lately when it comes to, like, summer scouting? So... Me and you have been doing this hunting beast thing for like two years now. Mike's been doing it for like four, I think. And uh, if you go on YouTube and you're watching hunting beast stuff and you're reading about it, all you hear about is like beds, 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 and you know all, uh, various other kinds of deer sign. In the last two summers, I think me and you both have tried really hard to really focus on finding beds and finding buck sign and stuff like that in the summer months to help you out in the in the fall would, would you agree with that yeah i'd say so yeah so um when we went when i went out with michael you know we were just kind of brainstorming and when me and mike go out this is michael pike from the unrested by the way um when we go out we kind of brainstorm man me and him we're like it's like me and you jacob like we go out and we put our heads together and start rocking and rolling on some stuff so we're sitting there talking and we're like well how much do you really gain from this or that and we eventually came to the conclusion where we were like, you know, the you'd probably get the most benefit out of rendering down what you're looking for to, like, constants, which this is no secret. People already know this, but, like, you know, looking for things that aren't going to change between right now and during deer season. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like a terrain feature or a prominent habitat change or, or something like that. Uh, rather than focusing on just finding the sign, which finding the sign is fun, but dude, how many times have you found something that was just eat up with rubs and scrapes from the past season and then hunted it the next year and it was just cold as ice? Well, that, but also I was going to say, <clears throat> I try, and I guess this is just because of timing and everything else, you know, I, I definitely think you do a lot more summer scouting than I do, and nothing against, like, you can summer scout a whole bunch, and it, to me, summer scouting, to me, is more important at going to places I went to in years past, knew deer were in the area, but kept screwing up and going back in there and trying to figure out what was kind of going on, yeah. and also trying to figure out access to different areas, because what you're seeing now, some a lot of times, is not going to play out again, Come especially Alabama season. You know, freaking opens October 15th or 16th, whatever it's going to be this year. You know, stuff changes so rapidly. And it's like, to me, a lot of times the best scouting, and throwing you a little curveball, is in-season scouting. It's getting oh, yeah. out there with your bow and just kind of covering ground and, you know, maybe hunting off the ground a little bit, whatever. But, you know, definitely summertime scouting is a great time to check stuff that you hunted in the past. And maybe it didn't pan out. Maybe deer kept skirting you, deer kept blowing at you and try to figure out what happened, what, mm-hmm. what was going on and try and go in there and be able to assess the situation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that because uh, you can summer scout a whole bunch and then go in there, and like you said, in the fall, it just doesn't play out kind of how you wanted it to, which is what I was getting at with my whole point is like these last few years have worked a little bit for me, but as I look back on the success that I ended up having, it was from 
intel that I got either in the season or I mean, really, that's about it until I got in the season. I mean, I hardly ever find something in the summer and then go kill a deer there just because things are so different. So, but I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to summer scout because I like being in the woods and I want to get out in the summertime and I like preparing. And while every year I, I, I feel like, I usually feel like I don't have enough spots that I kind of know. And, uh, like I bounced around a lot last year, probably too much. So I'm trying to narrow it down to a few areas that I really want to focus on rather than being like, Oh, I can go here this weekend and I can go there that weekend. So within those areas, I want to find things that I can go look at right now that are going to be the same in deer season. So like when me and Mike scouted, we were in some younger planted pines and they were just old enough to where they were kind of thick and not thick. They were, the canopies were thick um and underneath is just wide open i mean you can see way through them but right in the middle of these things there's the beetle kill or something and there's a bunch of dead pines and a lot of them have fallen over by now and it's just like a two acre area and it is so thick man like rabbit could hardly get through there but it's just filled with beds around the uh, around the perimeter of it and we found you know some big huge giant worn to dirt beds which are fun to find but we also found a lot of um little uh terrain features that were funneling the deer so there was like a little saddle kind of over next to it that the deer were obviously traveling through there was a little draw that kind of ran out of that thicket and it was kind of tore up with sign and everything so i know that that thicket is going to be there because that that habitat feature isn't something that's going to change in one year it's going to take many 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 years for that thicket to get shaded out and get open again so I know that thing will be there for a while. That draw will be there forever unless they come in and strip mine it or something. So I know that those two things are, are constants, and I know they're going to be there in deer season. So now I can keep that in the back of my head, and if I have occasion to go hunt there, I know pretty much where I, where I want to set up. I don't know. I'm rambling. But does that make sense? Yeah. I, again, it, again, that's what I find is important this time of year is, like you said, find something that's constant because I think the biggest problem is – Again, talking like Alabama, talking, you know, some of these states that open up later, like the only time I really think that true summer scouting can be like huge factor, especially like summer scouting, like late summer, like August, like especially like late August Mm -hmm. is Kentucky and then Georgia. Okay. Yeah. I guess Florida opens real early. South Carolina opens real early in private land. Um, So, I mean, those, yeah, all kind of plays on a factor. And again, it also depends on whether you're hunting public or private land. If I'm hunting private land, Unless it's like a huge partial that I'm just not familiar with, pretty much I mean, you're putting green, you know, you're putting green fields in right now, putting food plots in right now, uh, you know, putting cameras out, putting corn out, checking and seeing what's going on, and kind of just, you know, seeing and assessing. Uh, you know, public land, you don't have that, you know, benefit that kind of, you know, put your green fields out and everything else. So you got to put more boots to the ground. And, you know, this time of the year, you know, Georgia, I definitely would take it a little more seriously on like trying to figure out something for that. You know, first couple of days of the season, you know, real early yeah. in September when they actually have velvet on, and you know what is going to be a major food source at that time of the year that those deer are really going to be hitting. And again, try to figure out what the beds are. But again, you know, one thing we find back in especially Alabama, Central Alabama, is you know the deer population. It's good, but again, there's so many places, especially in certain areas, that deer can bed that you're not finding very many isolated bedding areas that they're constantly using unless you have a major, you know, food source, water source nearby 
And again, that comes down to whether or not you got droughts and everything else. There's a lot of factors that yeah. play into it yeah. on how, how effective some of that stuff can be. Yeah, this is something I kind of started thinking <laughs> about last year. Again, when me and Michael were out scouting, it was actually on this same piece of public land just across the road from where we were the other day. We went in there, and, I mean, we hit up this ridge, and, I mean, it's just classic kind of what you're looking for for buck beds where you got a, a big a, – kind of the main ridge runs east and west, and then you got little micro ridges shooting off pointing north. And uh, we were hitting up those little micro ridges, and we were finding beds, lots of beds actually. Found some, you know, beds worn down to dirt. They were good stuff, but then I remember sitting there with them and looking at the map while we were sitting next to one of these beds, and we're like, well, why would he get on this finger instead of on that finger or, you know, whatever else? And, you know, you could get into it and be like, oh, if it, if the wind was just like this, he would probably get right here. And I, I just I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that they – I don't think they pay as much attention to the wind as we do. I think that they bed with the wind in their favor – for a fact, but I don't think that they can predict the wind well enough to be like, oh, should I sit on this for a south-southeast or uh, just a regular southeast, you know? Does that make sense? Because we, yeah. can, we can break it down to, you know, you got northeast, south, and west, then you got northeast, southeast, and then you got like north-northeast, which is in between northeast and north. Um, and... Like, we were sitting there trying to nitpick it so much where we're like, well, if it's a north-northeast, then I think that he would be on this ridge because it makes more sense. But then really when I just kind of sit sit there and think about it and think about, like, the level of intelligence a deer has, I'm like, I don't know if he could figure that out. Or I don't know if he would care that much to expose himself and move from bedding area to bedding area when the wind is so variable, you know? Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't really have a, a say in that because, again, I have no idea how a deer thinks. I just think... A lot of it's, it's it's habit, and a lot of it is just nature, and then learned behavior. I think, especially in, in bachelor groups in the summertime, you know, bucks are bedding together in same general areas. Those younger bucks are learning from those older bucks what they're doing, and then when they're having situations where their coyote comes in on them, person walks you know upwind of them, whatever, and they smell you. It's kind of just like learned behavior. But hey, you know, I'm, I'm again, nature's kicking in. Wind's coming from this direction. This makes for a good spot, you know, because you know last time something came from that direction. You know, we smelt them, okay? Yeah. Kind of same thing. And, you know, there's other situations where it's not as important. Like, you know, you get away from hill country pretty much, especially like you in that flatland, swampy areas, they're pretty much bedding in areas that it's going to be, to get to the deer, it's going to be too loud to get to them and be able to sneak up on them. Yeah. Or it's just going to be too, just too nasty of terrain to be able to get to them easily. Yeah. Uh, and they don't really care so much about the wind. At least that's what I've seen in the past. Yeah, man, uh, it's just, it's a never-ending, confusing thing that you just have to, have to keep figuring out. I'm not going to stop paying attention to the beds because I do think that there is something to be learned there, specifically about access, where you can, you know, once you learn deer bedding, you can kind of learn how to access areas better. We're like, oh, since uh, one thing that I do believe in is, like, you know, you got the edge of a cutover, and you might have a hill, you know, where the SMZ is, where they, you know, they dropped off, they left the hardwoods down in the bottom, and then right at the military crest of that hill is where the cutover starts. And on like a, like a real calm day where they can hear everything, you know, they might be up in the cutover a little bit because nothing's gonna get to them without making an absolute ton of noise. So something like that, you might be able to sneak past them a little better because they can't see you. 
you know, they might hear you, but they hear stuff all the time. And as long as you at least attempt to sound like a turkey or a deer or something, they're probably not going to spook out. Where on the other hand, if there's like a breeze, and I, man, I busted so many deer last year where, where there's a slight breeze and they're bedded outside the cutover or outside of the thicket looking down using their sight advantage and smelling behind them. I, th- I do think that definitely is a factor and learning learning about how they kind of use the uh, the conditions in their favor can help you access because, man, I was getting busted a lot last year until I kind of figured that out. Or I'd go tearing down through a creek bottom and I'd be seeing deer kind of stand up on the edge of that cutover and run off. Yeah, and see, again, just trying to recall on the fly, I don't remember having all that many situations like that last year mm-hmm. where, like, I, I was spooking a whole bunch of deer walking in. Um, and I think – you were still hunting a lot too. Yeah, what, I'm trying. I'm trying to think if there was ever a situation like d- define. I had a defining moment where I was walking and, and like was busting deer constantly. I think one reason why I think, especially hunting Tennessee, I had such a solid idea of after like going on the first one or two hunts in Tennessee, where those deer were bedding and how they use that terrain because it's it's different from Alabama. Like it really is. It was easy, in my opinion, to stay away from those areas until I wanted to hunt them. So, like, I could kind of swing around because there was defined areas where I was like, there's not going to be a deer bedding here. And you'd walk through and you wouldn't see any deer bedded there. And you could kind of ease around like, okay, come up on, you know, a privet thicket. You're coming up on just different terrain features. And you're like, okay, you slow down, you know, chill out and either get in a tree or just ease through to stand still and just kind of see what happens. Yeah. And uh, I think that was huge. I was going to say, at one time I definitely probably had the most deer where I was like actually like probably busting deer and thinking about it is that piece of private land I had, like, like uh, what is it, like 30, 25, 30 acres, 40 yeah. acres. Uh-huh. And uh, just south of Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it was so much open grass grasses, <clears throat> the deer would bed, you know, on these hillsides and like it is – the place really had kind of crappy access because you could only access from like the south southeast mm-hmm. uh, or southwest. Yeah, and and you had to walk by deer sometimes. I mean, sometimes I'd walk by them, I'd see them in their beds, and they'd look at me and just you know don't pay me any attention. They're you know eighty hundred yards away from me. I'm talking does, not bucks. And you just kind of walk by as long as they didn't smell you. They just kind of sat there and just watched you. No big deal. Yeah. Um, but again, maybe that's part of urban bow hunting. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. Uh. Deer season will be here before we know it, though. So, yeah, no. Again, I'm pumped trying to get out and get actually some scout again for axes. You know, talking to Alabama, I, I could care less about really, really what the deer sign looks like right now. Because to me, every time I've done it in the past, dude, it never pays out, especially yeah. public land. Because so much crap changes, dude. Like it's just Alabama. Your season starts so late. I mean, October fifteenth. That is late compared to a lot of other states. Oh in the Southeast. man, yeah, I remember. I didn't even know what the October lull was until I was like in my middle teens and I was like watching a bunch of outdoor television and like really, really getting into hunting on my own. And I was like, the October lull, what the heck is that? And then I found out that people were like, yeah, the whole month of October is garbage, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, we don't even open until mid-October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Tangent. Get you half, get you halfway through that lull, man. There yeah, halfway through that lull, quote unquote. When would our lull be then? If we run, if we're running like early January, when would well, our lull be? Well, their whole the whole point of the lull, from what I've heard from like people that seem like they're somewhat educated on the whole thing, is just like when they're coming out coming out of the uh, their velvet and they kind of split up from the bachelor groups. 
they just kind of change their patterns, and that's the big thing. Because people, they people get all these aren't fo- adjusting. Yeah, people are getting all these photos and videos and crap on their cameras in September, especially a lot of these states that open in September. And they're like, oh, okay, I got a pattern on them. And all of a sudden, they freaking just change exactly what they're doing. I mean, they might cover a couple more miles. They might leave, whatever. And it's just because, man, they're changing. They're coming out of velvet. I mean, you hear mule, mule deer hunters out west say the same thing. Second a buck comes out of velvet, they totally change what they're doing. Yeah. So that, that's that's what I think it is. Plus, <clears throat> you know, who knows? Maybe temperature swings and everything else, the moon phase, all that crap can affect them. I don't know, but I'm just yeah. saying – Definitely when they come out of velvet, they're doing some different crap. So. Yeah, that's my whole thing against the October lull issue is like, man, I'm I'm in Alabama, and we have a way different rut than everybody else. But, like, some people are like, oh, bucks are saving up for the rut. And I don't – it that's that's definitely why it's the, uh, it's the whole thing about patterns changing because here – but I mean, by the time season comes in, man, they're on that that acorn pattern. I mean, the acorns have already been dropping in a lot of places by the time October fifteenth rolls around, and uh, so then to me, it only gets better as the season goes on. I mean, it's like every week is better than the last week, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's a total tangent. What were we trying to talk about? No, uh, I mean we were just kind of jumping around from betting into everything else. But I mean, I think that's important. You know, you get a lot of guys they freak out in October. I mean. I, I remember in Tennessee this past year, it was one of my best Octobers I ever had. I mean, dude, like fourth, fifth day of the season, I shot a doe off the ground, and literally after I shot her, I had a chance to shoot a, a nice little, you know, a nice eight point, and I just screwed that up. Um, you know, not can't get, couldn't get the freaking air off my quiver quick enough. Um, <coughs> but uh, anyways, you know, people just always say, you know, there's October lulls. I think hunting public land, I understand if you're hunting a piece of private and you only have like 100 acres. Well, from that change from September to October, yeah, the bucks you might have been, you know, having on camera, they could totally leave your property or only be showing up nocturnal at night because they move they move bedding areas, move areas, and then they're only coming through there, you know, later in the evenings, later in the afternoons, everything else. Um, but if you're hunting private if you're hunting public land, if you got thousands of acres, you can refine a lot of those deer or have deer come into your area that came from, you know, maybe, you know, a mile down the road or whatever else. So I, I think it's just exciting. I, I could care less about all that kind of stuff. I just got there and chased here. Yeah. One pretty interesting thing is, um, I, th- I think it was yesterday, I shared a picture on Instagram on the Southern Outdoorsman account of a trail camera picture that my buddy Zach got uh, on a place that me and him have been, had been hunting for years at that point. Uh, and actually is the same, actually the exact same parcel where the picture before that one, I posted a deadhead that I found, or my buddy Colton found, um, I kind of got a friend group. We all hunt this one area, and it's a big ten point that I had a video of, and I hunted him all year. Never, never got him. Never. I don't think I laid eyes on him. I might, I might have. I can't remember. This is probably five, six years ago now. But, um, but uh, my buddy Colton went out there summer scouting and found that dead, dead buck in the same place that we got the picture of that monstrous looking giant tall buck that I posted on the Instagram page. That thing. We were getting pictures of in velvet, and there's this one thicket. Kind of, this is kind of going back to what we started talking about. There's this one thicket in this otherwise pretty open hardwood pine mixed forest, and uh, the thicket kind of stays thick all year. And that's where he was living in the summer. We were getting pictures of him uh, hitting some scrapes, you know, kind of late summer, uh, coming out of that thicket. Which, you know, that's a whole different. I'm sure people have heard us already talk about, you know, how I use scrapes, but yeah. That's right, folks. August and September, he's working scrapes. But anyways, 
Um, we were getting pictures of him working scrapes, and he stayed there like almost all year long. I think that we finally lost track of him after gun season came in, which was like the uh, second half of November. But he stayed in that thicket, man. I mean, from before the acorns till after the acorns, and he just seemed like he was a very like homebody-ish buck. Like he just didn't like to leave that area, which would make sense because he looked, I guess, pretty old. You can't really tell from the angle, but I mean, he's got a big old tank of a body on him. But I found that pretty interesting. Yeah, and Zach had a chance at that buck like once or twice, and freaking couldn't make it happen with his bow, which kind of sucks. Oh yeah, heartbreaker, man. We played cat and mouse with that Joker. Nah, or he did. I I really didn't get up. I think that was the year that I started hunting the other property because me and him had been hunting that parcel for a couple years at that point and hardly killed anything on it. Killed a couple does and I think I killed a little buck on it one time. So I, we kind of started moving away because it's like same thing with the turkeys, man. It's like we know that they're there. We just for some reason have just never really killed them there. We've been all over them, but we haven't actually sealed the deal on like a decent sized animal there. Which is aggravating, but anyway. Yeah. What? Well, I was gonna say, I think one thing that's gonna help us with that a lot is like in the in the in that area because I know what you're talking about that area and everything. <clears throat> one thing that I think is gonna be extremely helpful, especially when you're dealing with, and I, this applies for anybody that's listening right now, when you're dealing with a buck that is kind of that homebody, he's got like one main bedding area. I mean, you've got cameras out, you kind of have him pinned down, maybe you know 10, 15 acres. Okay, you kind of have an idea of where he's really staying. One thing that I think kills people, okay, like not like, you know, literally kills people, but on the aspect of access getting in there, those deer are freaking smart. If a buck is staying in the same area, there's a reason why he's staying there. Whether he's watching access, I've hunted private land where we would have bucks and does bed, I mean, within 200 yards of where you park the truck and you had to walk by on the old logging road to get to like your stand or whatever you had to walk by and they would bed right off it and they wouldn't always blow. Sometimes you just hear them get up and walk off. And I think in a lot of those situations, the, that buck is going to sit somewhere where he can kind of see all of that. Cause a lot of stuff around there is relatively open, mm-hmm. but, but also I think something that really hurts people in that situation, if you're like using a climber or a walk on and you don't have your system dialed in all the way and you're making noise, when you're in a situation like that and he is like in a certain area and he's staying in that area, especially bedding and especially if you're dealing with, you know, a thicket around more open, whether it's hardwoods or pines, if you make some noise like that, dude, I think that freaking gig is up. Absolutely. He's taking the back door on you. He is not coming that direction whatsoever. Yeah. And I think, I think that's one thing that's hurt us in the past using, you know, lock ons and climbers and stuff like that. Climbing pine trees, dude, climbing a pine tree is so stupid loud, which, it doesn't sound necessarily unnatural. I mean, to me, it sounds like, you know, fox squirrels chasing on a, on a pine tree. Coon running up the tree or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like when you make a little bit of, like, you know, you, you accidentally, you know, knock your sticks, climb sticks together. Stick together. Yeah. Dude, you are freaking done. At least on a buck. Now, I, I'm sure you get some, you know, young do, you know young does, yearling does come by, yearling bucks. But, dude, I do like that. It is absolutely done for, I think, for that day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I yeah I, I definitely tend to agree with that. And actually, funny you mentioned that. Uh, I'll post the video hopefully later this week. Again, trying to get the Six Mile Productions website up and going, so that's eating up a little bit of my time. But hopefully by the end of this week, I'm going to have the video where me and Mike scouted up on our YouTube channel. And uh, in that channel, we the bed that we find is just, I mean, man, it's a Mac Daddy of a bed. I mean, it is to the dirt. It's huge. And there's like these fallen trees with privet growing through them. And it's basically a little hut. Like 
when I was like 12, I was always looking for something like that to go make a little camp in, you know, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. legit, like a little hut. You could put a tarp over it and like live in it. And, uh, yeah, that buck had like basically three beds in there were like three different spots he would lay. And interestingly enough, um, one of the trails that we were actually hunting off of last year, it's like, I mean, that bed is straight up like ma- less than a hundred yards off that road. Probably a lot mm-hmm. less than a hundred, but I'm, I don't want to throw out a number and be wrong, but I mean, it might even be sub 50 off that road. It is close. And that joker has gotten some use and there's some buck sign in there. So I know he's in there in the season. And uh, I, I definitely think that he was monitoring access like you were just talking about, because with any kind of Northern wind, as soon as you, as soon as your boots hit the ground out of your truck, he can smell you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that and that uh, particular gate did get a fair amount of pressure, so it makes a lot of sense. And for that bed, the actual location of that bed, man, if if you did do that, I mean, he could get up and he could walk down that draw I mentioned earlier, and I mean, you would he wouldn't have to run; he could just slip on out of there and never even be. You'd never know he was there, you know. Yeah, well, and I'm telling you that, like people, I've heard people. I've, I've mentioned this for a long time especially after hunting public land and really seeing this happen a lot on private, but also I see it on public a lot too, is deer bedding close to access points. I mean, access point, whether it's a parking lot, whether it's a trail, like a, like a logging road or whatever you have to walk down on behind the gate, um, whether it's a power line. I mean, they're, they're bedding in areas. I, I see a lot of deer in those areas. And the problem is, and you know, we always talk about like, you know, getting your, trying to get your access dialed in before everything else, because, you know, you can have the most dynamite spot, but if that buck you're chasing that, or you think you're chasing is betting off some access that you have to walk in on, you are screwed, man. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to get that deer. I mean, you might get another deer, but you're not going to get that deer. And yeah. I mean, it is just absolutely crucial, I think, in a lot of situations to do stuff different from other guys. You know, one thing I've noticed, like, for sure, especially like hunting Tennessee, hunting Alabama as well, I'm not seeing in a lot of places – Personally, you're not seeing a lot of deer bed. And again, this is talking hill country, guys. You're not seeing a lot of uh, deer bedding down in along creeks when it's like you're talking steeper terrain. They don't want to be down the bottoms. Um, that is a freaking awesome access point for me in a lot of situations, as long as it's not wide open. Mm-hmm. Like if it's wide open where you can look all the way up the freaking hill and a deer could be bedded up there where it gets thick on top and yeah. see you, then, then it's not going to work. But you know, if it's a, got enough cover where you can kind of walk down that creek. I did that a lot in Tennessee, and it was awesome. Um, and, again, you're just doing something different because most guys, they're going to walk the ridge tops. They're walking the side ridge. They're walking the trail on top of the ridge, whatever. And it's just, it's just not working for you, especially I'll tell you one of the most annoying things is when you're hunting public land and you have a freaking old doe. I'm talking like – I mean, kind of like <laughs> when you, you, you missed the North Alabama. Did oh, that did, God. Did, they're so smart, and man, those are the ones you always find on those access points, bedding up. And dude, once they find you, they they let everybody and their mother know for the freaking next hour, blowing their brain, blowing their head off. Yeah, and oh, I mean, yeah. they, and that is no, it's, it's just a problem. So I mean, access is absolutely key in a lot of those situations, especially if you're dealing with, you know, relatively open terrain uh, where a deer can see from a long ways. So that that can be a, a huge problem. Yeah, dude, hundred percent. Yeah, and uh, one thing that, about that last scouting video we posted is I jumped a couple deer in that video, um, and this doesn't apply for Alabama because we open up way, way, way too late for this. But maybe Georgia opens up pretty early. Kentucky opens up very early. 
And uh, South Carolina, I don't know anything at all about South Carolina's super early season. So I don't know if what I'm about to say would apply to that at all. But y'all open early enough that if it, it might it might apply. But um, and I've noticed this several years in a row now, scouting where uh, you'll you'll kind of get into an SMZ and then you have little tiny feeder creeks that feed the main creek and you got cutovers or some other kind of thicket above it. And man, I find deer bedded in the very bottom of of those little draws all the time in the warmer months. I mean, I mean, I'll find beds down there pretty common. I'll jump deer out of there pretty common where they're not up in a cutover. They're not on an edge. They're just down in a thick little draw. And a lot of times they're sitting very close to the middle of it, kind of in the lowest spot where it's the coolest. And they're just kind of tucked up in the shade right there. Um, maybe in like early season in Georgia, it'd still be hot enough to, to hold some deer in little spots like that. But that's just something to note. I don't know what South Carolina's terrain is like, but for my area specifically, you'll have a little, you know, decent-sized creek, maybe 10 feet across or less, uh, but that has got flowing water in it. And then you have little feeder creeks that go into it. And those little feeder creeks will run off into cutovers or reclaims or anything along that, or, you know, planted pines that are thinned out and really thick. You'll have those little feeder creeks run up into those, and those draws are thick, and you'll find deer in those quite a bit. Uh, and in the in the wintertime, they're almost never bedded in those same spots. So, Yeah, know, exactly. Might, might like be a useful thing. I found what, one more thing about that. Last year in Georgia, I found a super cool buck bed like that where this joker, there was a swamp. There's like a big slough that ran up into this public land. And there's like, it's real swampy in there. And I mean, right on the edge of that swamp, there's like three feet of flat ground where the hill just dumped off right there. And he had like a three foot shelf and then the swamp. And a pine, like a huge pine tree had died and fallen right along the edge, right on the shoreline. And this deer was like walking over limbs and getting like right in the crown of that fallen tree. And he had like a little little area right there he was laying in perfectly and some of the bark on the pine was kind of gone where he'd been laying up against it and there was like hair stuck on broken limbs and stuff that was that was pretty sweet that was one of the more unique beds i found but what were you about to say no and i was gonna say you know what i'm talking about using you know streams and everything for access definitely that is like more of a later like you know november going on until like you know later season tactic just because again once the temperatures kind of drop a little bit. Everything kind of changes, you know, their, uh, you know, summer patterns change, you know, you know, back into whether it's a, it's a main food pattern or they're kind of going in towards the rut or whatever's going on. Definitely, you know, the stream access, at least around here, whether it's, uh, again, well, I haven't really hunted Georgia, so I don't want to speak for Georgia, but definitely Tennessee, definitely, uh, you know, central Alabama, uh, I think is key. Again, it's, it, you're doing something a little bit different. Uh, now, the one time I can see it maybe not working out, is if you're hunting like wide open freaking pines, like out, like plantation pines, and the only thick stuff is down in the creek, maybe it's not a good place to be walking. But when you're hunting, mm-hmm. you know, mixed pines, hardwoods, and everything, and you got a bunch of, again, where you're talking, you know, timberland where they're, you know, they're cutting or whatever the situation is, and you got, you know, thicker stuff up on top of the ridges, I think those lower draws and everything are fantastic for access with the right situation, especially in days when it's, you know, more still, not so windy, like you said earlier, you know, when you're seeing, you know, deer bedding more on that edge when it is windy so they can see better. And, uh, since they can't use their ears as well. So yeah. I think that's all key. And again, that's just something you guys, you don't, you can't learn it. 
from just us from hearing from us. You have to go out there and experience it. You got to fail. You got to have deer bust you and be like, okay, this works here. This does not work. And just kind of learn from that. Cause I mean, that's the biggest thing, you know, I'm saying a lot of this from experience and uh, it's experience that I've definitely noted and uh, definitely, you know, take to the bank with me for sure. Oh yeah. Now here's a, here's another interesting kind of angle to go at things. I cannot remember who it was, but me and you know a guy who hunts our home place that he will take, you know, a big, however many thousand acre parcel of public land and narrow it down to a smaller area and literally not deviate from that area and just hunt that all year. Do you know who I'm talking about? I don't know the guy's name, but I do remember having a conversation with him about that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and he, I mean, that dude had pretty good success if I remember correctly. And that's just been kind of festering in my mind lately where, you know, we got a lot going on in the fall for sure. Like just right off the top of my head, it looks like definitely going to be hunting Georgia, definitely going to be hunting Alabama. And when I say Alabama, I mean more than like, I'm talking like more than two hours from where I live. Me hunting Georgia, me hunting parts of Alabama that are pretty far away from me. Um, I'd be shocked if we didn't end up in Tennessee um, and we're going to do an elk hunt so we got to we got to plan all those trips and kind of prepare for those and figure out what we're going to do and uh, we kind of did that last year where we were hammering a couple different states we were really strung out and when I was coming back home I was struggling like crazy because I think I just kept bouncing around and not focusing on one area. So I'm thinking about kind of adopting that strategy this year for at least my home place. It's like a couple minutes from me and just seeing how it turns out where I'm going to take like one section of the place and I already know the section that I would probably do it on and just literally hunting that for like 90% of my hunts, uh, like around my house at least. Uh, what, What are your thoughts on that style? Yeah, so that guy had pretty freaking good success killing bucks doing that. Yeah. And kind of give an example uh, everybody, like, what he was doing. He would take – and sometimes he would just rotate, you know, different units. But he'd take one piece of public land that me and Andrew have both hunted and break it down to units. And he would be like, okay, this year I'm hunting this 250-acre spot that he just like put on the map i mean he'd get a plot map out and everything and just you know trying to draw out the boundaries he says that's where i'm going to stay and he goes out there scouts it he'll do it pre he'll do it either postseason and try and get out there and try to see does the deer sign look good enough that hey you know i think i can work with this or you know see maybe hey i need to try a different place on the map but once he finds something that looks good he will only stick to that you know between 200 to 300 acre plot yeah, Which Andrew, Andrew I, I, I call BS that you're going to stick to that because you're oh, like yeah. all about, oh, I got to have thousands of acres to run on. I can't stay in 100, <laughs> 200 acres. I got to okay. have thousands of acres to not kill anything on. <laughs> exactly. I'm a freaking complainer, boy. No, but anyways. Um, so this guy just had a ton of success. He'd run cameras. He would know that 200 to 300 acre plot like the back of his hand. He mm-hmm. would have his axis points down to the T. But one thing that he did, which I know, Andrew, you, you will not do, is he was a huge believer in scent control when hunting that spot because he didn't want to burn it out. Uh, he would do everything in his power that he thought, you know, worked for him. Um, you know, from washing his clothes, you know, staying downwind, using spray, doing everything. I don't think he used those onks or any uh, ozone units or anything. But, you know, he was just very particular about that. And he was very particular about hunting the wind uh, and just being smart on how he hunted it. Um, 
and he had a ton of success. And I thought about doing the same thing too. I mean, after talking to the guy, that was probably three years ago. I thought about, hey, maybe that would work. But again, my problem is kind of like yours. Well, two things, two problems. On public land, just because you have a spot marked out that's two, three hundred acres, does not mean other people are not going to be hunting it. Yeah, uh, does not mean there's not going to be other hunting pressure there. Does not mean that you're going to have it all to yourself. So that's a factor. Other factor is when you have experience on a huge piece of public, you know, all across it, and you're hunting this 200 acres and it starts getting, you know, maybe there's a couple of weeks where I'm, man, it sucks. Like there's nothing really going on. You know, I didn't try something different. You start veering off from it. You're going to start thinking of other things and you're not going to stick to the plane. Um, whether that's good, bad, indifferent, it doesn't matter. Um, that's kind of the problems I see with it is staying dedicated to it. But I think if you, talking to you, Andrew, if, if you ran cameras, if you had a spot that had a ton of bucks on, I, I would definitely pick something that had a lot of doe bedding on it, like a ton of doe bedding. I would not focus so much on buck bedding because, again, the way the, the rut works out here, I would try to find the does yeah. first yeah. and just find a place that has a lot of great transitions and then work with that. Because, mm-hmm. again, you know, bucks are going to come, plus you probably have some bucks in that area, especially if you have a decent food source in there. But yeah, also try to find something that, dude, just people aren't going to necessarily want to hunt a lot. You know, there's I'll say there's definitely not many places in Alabama that someone's not going to not go to, but it's whether or not they want to go to it all the time. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what I would try to look for. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm probably not going to do that, but it, it's nice to think about. Because my problem is I got a couple, I got a handful of areas that are within relatively easy driving distance of me. And <laughs> this is where Alabama, I love it, but it, I also, like, it, <laughs> it's working against me a little bit where we have so many different ruts. And I'm, like, constantly cycling through. Dang, dude, what, what you doing? I don't... <laughs> what are you doing? Stupid phone, man. Anyways, Alabama's got this thing where it kind of works against me with the rut, but it also kind of works for me, where I can bounce around and hit the rut in a bunch of different places, but then I'm also bouncing around and not focusing on an area. So I don't know, man. I got a couple different places nearby that I could try. I just don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'll figure it out later, I guess. But I'm just looking forward to deer season, dude. One thing I'm definitely going to do this year and I'm already preparing for it because I'm already starting to kind of stock up on batteries and stuff and get some new cards, is I'm going to use my trail cameras a little bit more this season. I'll probably go still put out that one lone camera that just sits pretty much all year. But, man, I know too many guys that have way too much success with consistently running cameras on public land and just keeping inventory on what's there and making adjustments accordingly. So... I'm going to give that a try this year. I'm going to focus more on trail cams, which I haven't done in probably three years now. Yeah, speaking about trail cameras, I still got one on a piece of public land in Tennessee. Oh, my God. When are we going to go get that? I don't know. It's been there since August. Of 2018. Yeah. That's terrible, dude. It's terrible. Terrible. It's going to be awesome when we go pull it and there's not going to be freaking anything on it. Oh. I'll joke about that. <laughs> yeah. We, no, but, God, dude, we, we got to get up there and grab that thing for real. It's going to bother me. I'm going to start losing sleep over it. Dude, it's a good spot. It's in a good spot, too. Like, straight up, like, you talk about, like, awesome ground hunting game. Like, fantastic area. So, yes, sir. But, uh, 
Anyway, but, yeah, no, I think uh, trail cameras are going to be huge. That's one thing I want to try to implement this year a little bit. But to be honest, you know, I told you this last time I've talked about, talked about this on other episodes. Is, dude, I rarely hunt the same area more than probably two times. Um, and, and I think the reason why is there's two things. I think within two to three hunts, you definitely understand what's going on in that area and whether or not you're doing something right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I think that, you know, the more, you, of course, the more you sit in some spot, you, again, you can't control when you're talking, talking about public land here. You can't control who else is going in there. So you really don't know what kind of hunting pressure is happening. You don't know what's happening on other days when you're not there, whether you're hunting weekends or hunting weekdays or both. You don't know what else is going on. But I think after a couple of hunts, you get a general idea of what is going on, especially if you're not running cameras. And if it's not working out, you need to move on and try, you know, try something different. Yeah. Uh, and that definitely helped me last year. Now, running cameras is awesome. I think running cameras in funnels, any kind of transition area, any kind of saddle, especially when you have multiple transitions come together uh, where you get different vegetations. You may have hardwood pine, soft edge with a saddle, with maybe a rock bluff. You put all that in one area, that is an awesome area. But any place like that, that's, you know, you're going to have high inventory walking through, a lot of deer walking through. That's the place I feel like putting a camera is freaking awesome because you get a general idea of what's in the area and also how the deer are using that area. And, you know, I love using cameras, trail cameras with uh, a video mode just because I'll leave on video. Yeah, it, you know, kills your battery a little bit more, but you learn so much more, in my opinion, running video than you do photo. Oh, I'm yeah. Talking, well, I'm also talking, you know, anyone that's running it over corn or whatever, that this doesn't apply to you because you're literally just getting deer feeding. It doesn't matter. But when you're putting it on transition areas, trails, whatever, you know, on video mode, it's so critical to do that. And you will get an idea of how those deer are truly coming through there. You know, uh, you know, like I say, you know, a photo is worth a thousand words. I think a video is worth 10,000. Yeah, I definitely agree. Especially after last year, dude. Actually, I forgot to tell you this the other day. Uh, I found that, that card from my camera last year where we got that really big buck on camera, that big tall uh, eight point or whatever. Or it might have been a six. I can't remember. That big buck that we were hunting last year. Um, and, you know, I had him coming out and everything. We had like six different bucks working that big community scrape on the edge of that bedding area. And I was going back through some of those videos the other day. I think I was deleting them uh, to clear up card space. And I was watching through one of those videos and I saw something I hadn't noticed before where another buck there was a pretty decent sized buck that I didn't know was there was actually in the background in one of these videos where I thought it was just wind making the camera go off but I was able to blow it up and look at him and he's a pretty decent buck and he was back there working a big um uh crap um (laughs) my mind just went blank one of those big uh community rubs you know signpost rub he was back there uh, working one of those things that I had other bucks working during the week. So that's definitely pretty cool. Brand new buck I didn't know was there before. It'll be something to watch out for uh, this December whenever we're hunting there. For sure. Now, <clears throat> um, what's, is, what's, what's another topic you want to talk about? I know you were talking about, like, you know, summer scouting and everything. But was there anything else that kind of jumped out at you that, you know, we should definitely, you know, kind of touch on this week's episode? Well, um, one thing about before we leave the trail camera thing is, uh, one reason I'm wanting to do the trail camera thing is because Jeff Homan, who's been a guest on this show before is, I mean, one of the most successful hunters I've ever met. 
And he, he does the whole, I mean, just classic, put a trail camera out, find a buck, and, like, backtrack him to his bedding area. And Jeff, literally, that's his, literally his tactic where he'll get a buck on camera, he knows where it's coming from, and he will move a little bit closer, like, down the trail that the buck's using. And he'll get him again. He'll move a little bit closer. And he'll get, like, keep getting closer and closer to daylight pictures. And he has shot three bucks, which is the Alabama limit, on public land, Two years in a row, um, which is just crazy considering where he's done that. I mean, it's I mean, so impressive, man. Like it really blows me away. So there's something there's something to it, man. Deer hunting, it's like skinning a cat. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know. I know in the past we've talked about like cameras, like you know, being a fan, but also not being a fan of everything else. I don't think there's ever any one tactic that isn't going to help you at one point or the other it's just depending on what you want to put in your arsenal it's like anything else i mean it's kind of like an archer you know put whatever you want in your quiver as long as it works for you um and i guess also legal but um but that's like the biggest thing you know i think trail cameras in the right situation for a lot of people can be fantastic but i think also the one reason i've talked bad about trail cameras is i think trail cameras will make somebody hunt um maybe not less, uh, hunt with less, uh, I'm not going to say passion, enthusiasm, because maybe they're like, oh, there's not a single, you know, three-and-a-half-year-old buck or bigger or older on this camera. Well, dude, you get you got to think, especially un- even if you're running it over corn or whatever, you're not getting every deer in that area. Oh, okay? yeah, man. You're seeing I, a little 10-foot area. Dude, I've seen so many times, so many times, especially hunting private land, definitely on private land. Oh, man, there ain't no big deer. Oh, there ain't no big deer. Okay, cool. There might not be any big deer in a camera. It does not mean there's not a big deer coming through that property. I mean, he might not be staying on the property, but he's coming through there. I've seen it happen so many times. Someone killing a really good deer, or me missing an opportunity at a freaking awesome deer on a piece of property that they're like, "Oh, there's no big deer here." You know, we, we've seen every deer on camera. That is BS. And I, <laughs> I, I think it, ma- it makes a lot of people want to give up sooner. Like, you know, it'll be, you know, in Alabama, it'll be December. Ain't no big deer showed up yet. Oh, ain't no big deer. Oh, I'm not going to hunt. I'm going to wait until friggin' January, late January. Dude, I've seen that happen too many times. And then someone checks their trail camera two weeks later after they haven't been hunting, and there's a freaking giant deer that's coming on the camera the last three days in a row. Um, it's it's just one of those things. I don't put so much faith in them that I completely dictate how I'm hunting truly based on that camera. To me, it's more about learning what's happening and really how those deer are using that area. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, just, that's just my opinion on that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I agree, man. Well, uh, deer season will be here before we know it. Um, where do you think we're going to start our year? Where's the first place we're going to hunt? Um, well, first one that opens is Georgia. So I'm going to probably say Georgia. Actually, no, I lied. Okay, well, I'm not going to talk. Well, okay, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, Georgia, I'll say Georgia. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there might be some earlier opportunities out there, maybe. We'll see. Nah, no, there's there's nothing. Dude. Nothing. I, man, oh, okay. About that, opening week in Georgia, man, I've been at work. I've been listening to way too much Bear Hunting Magazine podcast, and now I'm like, dude, I'm really wanting to go try an early season black bear in Georgia. So I don't know. I might try and plan that out. We got we got some planning to do, man. We got we got at least a couple of different places in Georgia. One place that we're gonna focus on in Tennessee, and uh, 
Jeez, dude, probably three different places in Alabama that we're definitely going to want to hit up. So we got some planning to do. Yeah, I got to get the structure down because, dude, it's going to be so busy. Oh, my God, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> so. Oh, dude. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm delirious. I'm so tired. So let's shut this bad boy down. Oh, man. That <laughs> uh, no, sounds good. Sounds good. Well, hopefully, next time we come on here, hopefully I'm going to be able to go out and do some fishing this coming week with the old kayak, old Hobie Pro Angler, and be able to kind of get some stuff registered for this stupid tournament. Actually, yeah. stupid. Actually I'm really enjoying this tournament. I'm not going to lie. It's been a heck of a fun time, even though I have not caught a single fish yet. Yeah, it's fun. So. It's fun seeing all the crap talking and all that good <laughs> stuff. But, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, guys, uh, that the episodes have been a little less planned out lately. Like I said, we just got a lot of irons in the fire right now. But in the coming weeks, you can expect to see it get a little bit more structured as we get our ducks in a row here. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, we've heard your calls for hog hunting material. So we got some of that on the way. Um, I'm actually working on trying to get a schedule out a guy right now. Who's an absolute killer for public land hogs in the summer and winter time. So hopefully we can get him on pretty soon. Uh, just trying to line up schedules. And, uh, other than that, um, we would really, really appreciate it if everybody could go out and give us a follow on our our new business uh, on Instagram, uh, it's just Six Mile Productions. And, uh, yeah, go check it out. I mean, we'll be posting some pretty cool stuff. Definitely a lot of outdoor hunting-related stuff, but we're also going to be getting into some stuff outside of the outdoor industry. So, uh, I mean, if you got a business that you're kind of wanting to promote a little bit, then maybe you could give us a ring. We could probably help you out. Jacob, you got anything? Well, I was going to say, I'm at it. Keep an eye on the YouTube channel. Everything else we got coming out relatively soon. So we got to get my uh, little noodle trip up too as well, and uh, <laughs> see, a little, see a little bit of that. But yeah, that's that's about it. So super excited again this coming week. Hopefully we got a pretty cool guy lined up. Like you said, I love it. I love to talk to your your contact for this public land hog hunting because I think that's fascinating. And again, we've had so many people ask about that. You know, public land hog hunting. How do you do it? How do you do it successfully? And uh, especially when you're hunting hogs. You're not hunting them either over a feeder or, you know, necessarily over the cover of darkness. Uh, it definitely takes a lot of skill. So that's going to be uh, pretty cool. So I'm excited to see that. But other than that, guys, we appreciate you tuning in for this week's episode. And until next time, y'all stay safe and have fun. Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool. I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. All right. Giving you a heads up here. So go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the the, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So like I said, make sure you come see us. We're going to have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're going to have merch there to purchase. We're going to be recording podcasts, shooting videos, 
all kinds of stuff. So like I said, don't miss it. You can head on over to the mobilehuntersexpo.com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets. So y'all go check it out at the mobilehuntersexpo.com.